Let us pray. O Lord of the harvest, because of your tender compassion, the dawn from on high has broken upon us. Be merciful to us and make us to see beyond the ugliness of this world and to see the hope of glory. Make us to see how you have made many ready to receive the good news of your kingdom. Yes, Lord, inspire us to pray to the Lord of the harvest for laborers to come into his harvest and gather up the harvest. Yes, Lord, help us to find rest in your promises and comfort and strength that we might follow the example, O Lord, for which you give us in our gospel reading. And so may the words of my mouth, may the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus gives us an example in our gospel reading this morning. He shows us what we're to do when we see the crowds that are helpless and harassed and scattered. What we're to do when the sheep, the lost sheep, are scattered about, helpless, hurting themselves and hurting each other. Jesus shows us what we're to do when we find ourselves scattered, helpless, harassed, or harassing, I should say. He shows us what we're to do. See, when Jesus saw the harvest was ripe, when he saw that people were ready to receive the good news of the kingdom of God, what did he do? What did he say? He didn't give them a task or a project. He urged them to pray, didn't he? To pray to the Lord of the harvest. Now think of this. Out of all the things that he could have done, he urged them to pray. He could have given them an exam or an evaluation. He could have interviewed potential candidates. After all, this was just before Christ selected and sent his apostolic laborers. He could have even established a discernment committee, right, Steve? (laughs) But he didn't do this. No, he urges them to pray, to pray to the Lord of the harvest. You see, it's no accident that Christ's exhortation to his disciples to pray and is is sandwiched between those who are helpless sheep without a shepherd and those who are selected and sent with God-given authority to teach and preach and to heal, to minister to the house of Israel. You see, it's about the authority of God's gospel for us. It's about the authority of God's gospel, I said. His authority. And these authoritative gifts that he gives us. He gives us two gifts, doesn't he? Two God-giving gifts. And that is prayer. And it's the apostles' ministry. And we should devote ourselves to these. These are 
far greater than we are. But these two gifts that God gives us, they're available for us. So we'd be wise to be quick to pray. And we would be wise to be quick to cling on to the promises of God through the apostolic teaching. So let us turn to our gospel reading this morning in Matthew chapter 9. We'll be looking at verses 35 to chapter 10, verse 15. We're going to move rather quickly. In fact, this is not going to be a normal expository sermon, which I so love to give. But this is going to be focusing primarily on two verses, verse 37 and 38. So let us consider the great wisdom of Christ's prayer exhortation. And let us consider the great wisdom of Christ's apostolic authorization. So why does Jesus urge his disciples to pray and how does this relate to gathering the harvest and commissioning and instructing the apostles. Why does this matter for us? We're not apostles, are we? But why does this matter for this church, all saints, this community of faith, these disciples of Christ? Well, it matters because these are two God-given gifts and they're authoritative. We submit to these instruments of God's grace. Prayer and the apostles' teaching and witness. In other words, these are two gifts that we must submit to and practice regularly, faithfully. Now notice how Jesus urged his disciples to pray. We read in verses 37 and 38 that Christ said that the harvest is plentiful, But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Why? Because prayer helps Christ's disciples to submit to the Lord. That's why. It helps us to see beyond the ugliness of this world and to see the beauty of the kingdom of God breaking forth. That's what prayer does. You see, we just can't be people who have bleeding hearts. No, we must be moved with compassion because we see that God is readying readying the souls that he is to reign over. But didn't Christ see those who were helpless? Didn't he see those who were harassed? Didn't he see those who were weary and scattered? Those who were like sheep without a shepherd? Yes, he did, but he desired to redeem them. Because of his great love and his mercy, he miraculously desires to redeem these helpless and hurting and scattered sheep who are lost. You see, it was the compassion of our Lord that motivated him to go throughout all of the cities and villages Not only a few of them, but all of them. And doing what? He taught. He proclaimed. And he healed. Healed every disease, it says. Every kind of disease. He is demonstrating his authority. And he is doing this through his compassion. It is moving and motivating him 
to fulfill what he has been called to do. You see, it was his compassion for the lost sheep that motivated him to say to the disciples to pray. It was his compassion that moved him to say, pray to the Lord of the harvest. This is what moved him. This is what prompted him to say what he said. And it was prayer, I submit, that gave him that everlasting spring of compassion that moved him to fulfill his call. You see, we must be in prayer. We must be in fellowship with God if we are to fulfill our mission as disciples of Christ and gather the harvest. We must be linked to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus shows us time and time again that he frequently withdrew to pray. And if we be like him, if we see beyond the ugliness of this world, if we are able to see how God is readying people to enter into his kingdom, then we must be people of prayer. Our hearts must, hearts must be made tender like our Lord. You see, the tender heart of our Lord was not an obstacle to his mission. The tender heart of our Lord was the means to him accomplishing his mission. And we, we should not think that it is any different for us, too. Was he not fully God or fully man and fully God, I should say? He was fully man. He was like us. And he used his compassion for the glory of God. So let us frequently pray to the Lord of the harvest, just as our Savior did and just as he does even now. Let our hearts be made like his. And let, it, let them be made like his by praying and clinging to his promises. This is why the followers of Christ are happy. In such a bleak moment in history, this is why they're happy. It's not because they're naive. It's not because they're closed-minded. It's because they see how the Lord of the harvest is churning the ugliness of this world into the beauty of the kingdom of God. So we must be moved and we must be motivated to gather the harvest that the Lord of the harvest has allotted for us. We must see how he is readying man's heart to receive the good news. What do we do when we look at our family members and our friends and our colleagues and we see how weary they are and how hurting they are and how helpless they are? Do we worry and fret about them? Do we become offended by them? Do we get upset? Do our hearts get filled with grief for them? Do we rush to solve all their problems? To be their savior? Or do we simply pray to the Lord of the harvest? Do we pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out laborers to gather them up and to welcome them into the kingdom of God? Let us be like our Lord. Let us be quick 
to pray to the Lord of the harvest. You see, there is a theological principle here. It is the Lord's harvest. Even our Lord Jesus Christ shows such submission when he sees all these people filled with hurt and helpless, scattered about. Sure, he could have gone, went and solved their problem. But what he does, he submits to the Lord of the harvest. He submits to his authority. And you know what the Lord does? is He uses people like you and me to be participants of bringing in the harvest and welcoming them into the beautiful kingdom of God. So may our first act be an act of prayer. May we be quick to pray. How much more helpful we would be if we just were more prayerful. How much better of a pastor I would be if I was just more prayerful. How much pain and hurt we would avoid if we were just quick to pray, quick to dwell in the presence of God, to bask in His peace. So let us pray. Let us pray to the one who is high above all others, the one who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Let us pray to him who stoops to us with heavenly compassion and makes his favor to shine upon us. Let us dwell in his kingdom. Let us dwell in his presence. You see, few are called to be great preachers, but all are called to be great prayers. Church, we must be a church that prays. This is why every Sunday we have in the middle of our service, right? The prayers of the people. When you think of how a worship service ought to be ordered, do you put prayer in the worship service? Jesus says, my father's house should be called a house of prayer. We should make prayer primary important. John Calvin says that prayer is the chief exercise of faith. When we are expressing ourselves, when we are expressing Christ's lordship over our life, we ought to be seen as people of prayer who enjoy dwelling in the presence of our Lord. You see, the success of the church lies not with how talented and capable its clergy and laity be, but in their fellowship with the Lord of the harvest. That's our success. He is the one that is making ripe the harvest. He is using the ugliness of the world to make ripe the harvest. And he is using you, each and every one of you, to gather up the harvest. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And there may be times that he doesn't use you, and you might not even know why he doesn't use you. But it's because of the great manifold wisdom of God, he is using somebody else to bring in 
the harvest. It is good for us to bring in the harvest. It encourages our souls. It strengthens our mind and our resolve. Let us pray to the Lord of the harvest. Let us dwell in his presence. He doesn't require us to do something that we cannot do. No, he gives us something so simple that we can do. He gives us a gift of work. Yes, it's work, but it's restful work. It's not wearisome work. He makes us pleasant participants in gathering the harvest. You see how prayer makes us successful? You see how it links us to our Lord? It makes us like Him. It motivates and inspires and it strengthens us. You see how it fills us with heavenly compassion, a compassion not of our own. It's a compassion that sends us forth in obedience to gather the Lord's harvest for which he has allotted for us to gather. So if we are to be moved with compassion, I submit that we are, not, that we are to be people of prayer. That's what we're to be. So who should we be moved with compassion for, you might ask? Is it not the harassed and the helpless? Is it not the lost sheep of Israel? You see, we're moved with compassion for those who have yet to believe, right? And this is what our parish mission statement says. It's, it's those who have yet to believe. This is why we are moved with compassion, because we see the hidden hand of God raising up saints of his glory. You see, it may be those who are sick, maybe those we don't want to get close to, maybe it's those who are hurting or a bit dysfunctional, maybe it's the homeless who maybe don't smell so nice. Maybe it's those who are filled with hate. Maybe it's those who are confused. Maybe it's those who have addiction. Whoever they be, are we ready to gather the Lord's harvest? Are we ready to welcome them into this community of faith? God is doing a work through you. I see it. I hear it. Just this week, we moved a mom and her four children from living in a car to living in an apartment. See, God is making ready his harvest. He's making it ripe. Just this week, we cared for a victim of abuse who, by providing her with safe lodging, you see, God is making ripe his harvest so they might find joy in his kingdom. We did this so that they might come to welcome the good news of the kingdom of God. This is why we do what we do. Again, we're not just bleeding hearts here. We are walking in purpose. We are part of his plan. We are participants in bringing in the harvest. You see, some may be a bit rough around the edges, but let us welcome them. And let us believe that God is transforming them. They don't have to be perfect when they show up. Certainly we are not perfect. But let us welcome each other. Let us encourage one another. Let us welcome each other into the harvest. You see, 
the good news is not just for those who do not yet believe. The good news is for those who do believe and need to be strengthened and matured. They need to readily cling to those promises and maybe even let go of some of those strongholds. So let us welcome each other. You know, next week or this week now, uh, we will be doing a day of caring. Why? Why are we doing this day of caring? Because we are believing that it is through our words and deeds that we are able to show others to the love of Christ. And we are able to gather them into the kingdom of God. How audacious. But this is why we're here. It's not moral therapeutic deism. It's not to just make us get a warm fuzzy and make us feel good. The world doesn't revolve around us. It doesn't say pray to Kalen's harvest. It says pray to the Lord of the harvest. We are ordering our life around him. And because he is good and merciful, we have great joy to do so. We know the birth pains when we look at the crowds and we see the helplessness and the hurting and how scattered they are. Yes, we should be moved with compassion. We know the birth pains. We're familiar with them, aren't we? But child of God, do not forget the joy that is set before you. Think of the joy that is set before them. Yes, let us welcome them into the kingdom of God. See, prayer is what the early church devoted themselves to. Prayer is what the apostles sought to learn from Christ. Prayer is what our Lord faithfully practices and even practices now. And so let us follow his example. For if we do not pray, then we are not only ill-equipped to see beyond the ugliness of this world, but we are also ill-equipped to be Christ's disciples. What a caution. The point is not to scare you. The point is to recognize the seriousness of this gift that God makes available to us. To regularly practice how we should find joy in communing with our Lord. You see, we cannot manufacture or manipulate or contrive the gospel. All that we can do is to pray and to cherish his promises for us. And when we do this, we're reminded that we are not only at his mercy, but that it is good for us to be at his mercy. We're reminded that he is the one who is sovereign, and that he is the one for whom we can trust. Early in my faith, I remember a lady telling me such wise words. She says this, the least you can do is the greatest that you can do. And that's pray. Such a young man I was, I hadn't been to theology school. I hadn't even been to college. I had just become a born-again believer. Such wise words. He 
Remember what Jesus says to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. He says, I have one thing against you. You've forgotten your first love. Do we find joy in communing with our Lord? Do we find delight in asking for forgiveness? I remember the moment when I was at college where suddenly I found joy in pleading for the grace of God. You see, I, the God that I knew was a God of legalism. I could never please Him. Do we find joy in the peace and the presence of Christ? And we must commune with Him. So are we moved with compassion like our Lord? When we see people suffering and tired and distressed, do we see that the Lord is readying them to receive the gospel? Let us look for those for whom our Lord is readying to believe. Let us pray to him to send labors into his harvest. Yes, let us pray to him that our hearts might be made big and that we might walk obediently in gathering his harvest. But also notice that Jesus not only urges his disciples to pray, but also selects 12 of them to go and to teach and preach and minister to the house of Israel. Christ called the 12 apostles. He gave them authority over unclean spirits. He sent them to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He instructed them to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He empowered them to show signs and wonders like he himself did. And he gave them practical instruction of how they are to provide for those who welcome the gospel and how they are to protect themselves from those who do not. He says, shake the dust off your feet, move on. See, just like compassion gives witness to our prayer life, so does our love for the promises of God give witness to our sending, our going, are walking faithfully on mission, gathering the harvest. You see, if we are not submitting and resting and enjoying the apostles' teaching, the holy scriptures, then we are not truly sent by the Lord of the harvest. If our Lord and his apostles were not excused from working, then we are not excused from working either. But the key is this. Our work is rest. It's not wearisome. It's rest. Oh, how wise we would be if we would just be more quick to pray and to cling to the promises of God. A man cannot serve two masters. No, there is only one master that we serve. And he is the master that gives us complete and utter satisfaction. He gives us purpose and pleasure. So we must ask, are we living in such a way that says that the Lord of the harvest has sent us into his harvest? Are we walking obediently? Well, there are certainly distinctions between that of a disciple and that of an apostle. 
Have we not the same baptism? Have we not the same faith? Have we not the same Lord? Just as the supreme apostle, Jesus Christ, was sent by God the Father to bear his authority to the world, so were Christ's apostles sent by God the Son to bear his authority to the church. And so if we be the church, if we be disciples of Christ, then we must submit to them, we must cherish them, we must treasure them, and we must use them to gather the harvest. This will motivate us and move us. It will fill our hearts with compassion. We are apostles, and we shouldn't claim to be apostles. They had a, a greater authority. We are indebted to them. But we are disciples. And these apostles were picked from the crowd of disciples. So they are disciples too. So there is much that we can learn from them. We can humbly seek to follow their examples. Yes, we must cling to the trustworthy promises of our Lord. We must cherish them. We must proclaim them. We must proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, just as they did. But you know what else we should do? We should gratefully receive this gift of God. Of his word and his spirit. Prayer and the Holy Scriptures. See, this is the authority that we are to live under. No other authority but this no other master but this. Every day we must say, I, I, sir. I submit and I call upon the name of Christ. I find joy. I relish in the joy of my salvation and the communion that I have with the Lord. I cling to the promises. I order my life in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. Every day we should say this. We should find joy O church, not in dwelling in the kingdom of the world. No, we should find joy in dwelling in the kingdom of God. We are meant to gather his harvest. And so let us do it. Let us do it by studying and praying every day. Let us do it by devoting ourselves to the apostolic teaching and witness. Let us do it by devoting ourselves to praying to the Lord of the harvest. The prayer is the gift that strengthens our fellowship with our Lord. And the Apostles' ministry is the gift that strengthens our understanding in the Lord. And when we enter everlasting glory, know that we will still practice these God-given gifts, but we will practice them differently. We will not close our eyes or open a book to practice God's gift. No, there will be no need to quiet all the distractions around us. There will be no need to read what is most clear and obvious. For we will see our Lord face to face. We will hold his glory and nothing else. All mysteries will be forever revealed. And we will forever search the endless depths of the most glorifying and satisfying God. Our communion will not beget compassion for the lost sheep of Israel. Our compassion will not send us forth to gather the harvest. Then, no, there will not be a harvest that will need to be gathered. 
it will all be gathered there. Our communion will forever plunge us deeper and deeper into the endless enjoyment of God. Our understanding will not be like it is now. It will not, we will not lack understanding. And we will not need understanding to be a follower of Christ, not at least as we do now. No, then our understanding will be that we are forever like Him. We will be completely captivated with Him in unconstrained adoration. We will be like Him, like the one for whom we shall forever enjoy. Amen.